That Merry Christmas, everybody. What a great job those little ones did and the middlers did and the teens. What a powerful message from them. My name is Troy. I'm one of the pastors at New Life. Welcome this morning. One of the things that we like to do is we like to make sure that we share the word of God with you. And so if you'll give me your, your attention for just a few minutes, it's good to see some of you that I haven't seen in a little while. God bless you. And Merry Christmas. I do want to remind you that we have a, a, an amazing man uh, from our church family that many of you might know who went home to be with the Lord uh, a week and a half or so, or so ago, and we are celebrating his life this afternoon at 2 p.m. right here in the auditorium. Uh, there will be 200, 250 people that will wedge into here and celebrate his life at 2 p.m. If you're part of the New Life family or you knew Jerry or, and Sally, if you would be here, we would greatly appreciate you being a part of that gathering and showing support for their family. And one last little plug, don't forget Christmas Eve at Michael Vega Park in River Islands where we have our River Islands campus. What a powerful outdoor gathering that's gonna be for one hour. People will be talking about this for quite some time. We've been walking through the Bible. This is the traditionally the Christmas message. Now I'm gonna be talking about Christmas on Christmas Eve, of course, but this is typically in the church world, the Christmas message that pastors give. And after almost 30 years of ministry, I wanna to give to you a Christmas message, but I wanna give it to you in a little bit different way this morning. And the way I wanna do it is I wanna take you through what we have been going through as a church family for 21 weeks. For 21 weeks, we've been di digesting a chapter a week in a book called The Story. The Story is a chronological version of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, written in 31 different chapters. If you'd like a copy of it, and you don't have a copy of it, we've got some at the Connect Corner. You can see the folks there afterwards. You can also listen to all the messages online, newlifeca.church, and it's a jet tour through the Bible. Not the entire Bible, but it, it really helps us understand the chronological order of the Bible, because the way your Bible is laid out is not, not laid out in chronological order. And so we've been going through this, and today is the final day of the Old Testament. Now, some of you know the Old Testament was before Jesus, but the New Testament begins with Jesus. That's why we celebrate Christmas. However, we can't really celebrate the coming of Jesus if we don't fully understand the why. Why did Jesus come? Yes, he came to save us from our sins, and he's an adorable little baby that we celebrate in all kinds of programs and celebrations and parties and, and festivals. However, the big why needs to be answered. In, I'm gonna give you a jet tour this morning if you'll just dial in for a few seconds. In the very, very beginning, what happened was we had two people. We had Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve done did messed up. They sinned before God. And when they sinned, sin entered into the world, and the world is now messed up. So we're going to kind of jet to or through this. What happens was God said, okay, the, the world is so messed up. People are so evil and vile. And so he's going to destroy the world and do a do-over. You ever want to do a do-over in your life? God decides he's going to do a do-over. And so he sends the flood. And, and what he does is he spares just one family in the flood, and that was the family of Noah. And of course, all of the animals, two by two, went into the ark. Well, God spared Noah's family because he was righteous, and everybody else wasn't righteous. But what happens? Noah gets off the boat. He and his family, first thing they do is they done did messed up again. They sin before God in a terrible, terrible way. So God decides he wants to get the world back into relationship with him. And the way he's going to do this is he decides, well, I'm going to build a nation. God is God. He can choose what he wants to do. But ultimately, he wants to bring us into relationship with him. 
and his plan, it might not be your plan, it might not be my plan, but God's plan was, I'm gonna build a nation. And by building this nation, I'm gonna draw people into relationship with me. So God does what is the natural thing, is God chooses an elderly, infertile couple to populate this nation, Abraham and Sarah. And so Abraham and Sarah, about the age of 90 and 100 years old, begin to populate this nation that hasn't even really officially been formed yet. They have a son by the name of Isaac after a long time, and uh, Isaac um, uh, Isaac is uh, is almost sacrificed by Abraham, but God says, no, 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 don't do that. I'm going to build a nation from your son, Isaac. Isaac meets a woman by the name of Rebekah, and Isaac and Rebekah have two kids. They have Jacob, and they have Esau. Well, Esau is the firstborn, but Jacob decides he's going to steal the birthright from Esau. Let me tell you what I've learned about the Bible this year. This book is not an exhaustive book. It might feel a little exhausting to read the Bible. It might feel a little overwhelming to understand the Bible, but the Bible is a Reader's Digest version of what really happened. In other words, it doesn't list all the family dynamics. How in the world did somebody make such a foolish choice? Why in the world would somebody decide to go away from God when mom and dad had been so faithfully serving God? All these questions aren't necessarily answered in the Bible, we have to search them out. So Jacob steals the birthright from Esau, so he becomes, he now gets the inheritance, he becomes the main dude in the family. Jacob has uh, 12 sons, his 11th son is named uh, Joseph, and Joseph, Joseph is a dreamer. Joseph has this dream and his brothers are gonna bow down before him, and his brothers don't take a liking to that, so they do what they naturally do. They beat him up and they throw him down into a dried up old well and they abandon him and they decide we're not gonna abandon him, we're gonna sell him into slavery, and that just happens all the time in family, does it not? <laughs> Joseph is a precursor of Jesus some thousands, thousands of years later. Joseph then goes through about 30 years of, of life, going into prison, being accused of things he didn't do, um, all kinds of trouble until finally he's put into a position that he can redeem his family. And everything seems to be going just fine until it's not. Again, what happens now is that the, this nation, um, this nation that God wants to create, well, the people of God are now put into slavery and into slavery in a place called Egypt. Well, they're in slavery for 400 plus years and during this time, um, they are getting larger and larger. Their, their population is growing and growing, but they're still becoming more and more oppressed and pushed down by the, the wicked uh, leader of the Egyptian nation, which is Pharaoh. And so God raises up another leader, another leader hoping to redeem this nation and build this nation, and his name is Moses. Moses goes before Pharaoh and says, hey, dude, let the people go. And Pharaoh says, no. 10 different times, God sends 10 different plagues upon the people. And uh, finally, Pharaoh says, okay, I'm gonna let the people go. After the death angel comes, and some of you remember the story, and some of you hopefully will wanna read the story. All right, so now the people get to go. Yes, we're finally free. We can get to our nation, the land that God has promised to us. So they, they escape and they go, go across the Red Sea. What a tremendous miracle it was for 1.4 million of them to walk across on dry ground. And then afterwards, the army of, of Egypt begins to chase them and then the waters come flooding in. I turn around and go, dude, that is awesome. I am never gonna turn my back on God again. Oh, but they do again and again 
and again. And so for 40 years after they crossed the Red Sea, because they were disobedient before God, for 40 years, uh, God has them wandering in this wilderness when they were only just a few miles away from the promised land destination that God was going to give to them. They wander until the final person in that first generation had died, and finally a guy by the name of Joshua, which was the follower of Moses, Joshua, uh, just put Josh, Josh is the one who escorts them into the promised land. In other words, into the nation that God had promised them. How do you know a nation has to have two things? It has to have land and it has to have people. Without one of those, you don't have a nation, right? You either just have land or you just have people, but together it becomes a nation. They finally get to go into this land, this nation that God had promised to them, and Joshua is gonna lead them in there. But there's a problem. Well, there's people already living there, right? And so God says, go in and take the nation. These aren't good people necessarily. These are evil people. So they go and they take the nation. And we remember that uh, there's this place called Jericho. And Jericho is the first place that Joshua takes them into in this promised land, in this new nation. And we know what happens. They, God says, don't attack them like you normally would with your army, but just kind of walk around the walls of this fortified city a few times and then go, boo, and everything's going to fall. And it does. And they conquer the city of Jericho. And after that, they go into this season, the season with God. And I'm going to come put it up here, the season of disobedience, which leads to God's punishment, which leads to their repentance, which leads to God's deliverance, which, of course, leads to their disobedience again. They go through this season that lasts hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And so God says, I still have a plan for my people, for humanity. And the plan that I have is gonna be found through this nation, this land and this people that I'm gonna build together. And so God does a whole lot of things for humanity that we read about. God raises up a, a, a series of judges. We read about the judges. There were 11 of them, 10 men and one woman. God says, you're gonna be the political, you're gonna be the social, you're gonna be the economic, you're gonna be the spiritual leaders of my nation. Well, the people follow the judges a little bit, and then they don't follow the judges. They go through this season of, I'm gonna disobey God, God's gonna punish me, I'm gonna say, I'm so sorry, I'll never do it again, God's gonna take the punishment away, the deliverance, he's gonna deliver me out of the problem that I'm in, but then I'm gonna go right back into disobedience again. And we can look at these people and go, well, they are so stupid. We should really be looking in the mirror when we say that, because we do the same thing. But now the people, instead of having these judges that God has given to them, so we call that like judges like a gavel, guilty or innocent, but the judge is a, a leader, an all-encompassing leader. They say, we want a king. Every other nation's got a king. We want a king too. So God finally says, you want a king? Well, I'll give you a king. How many of y'all know sometimes God's gonna give you exactly what you asked for? And later on, you're gonna look back and say, why did I ask for that, right? I don't know what I was thinking. So God gives them kings. In fact, he doesn't just give them a king. He gives them a total of 38 kings. 33 of them were, were bad, and five of them were good. And these 33 kings don't follow God, so the people don't follow God. Five of them follow God, and, they, and the people start to follow God, and they go through this cycle. And during this time, God still wants to build his family. He wants to help his family. His primary desire is to draw us into relationship with him. And so in addition to this, God also sends, sends a, 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 a season, or excuse me, a, a group of prophets that come one at a time. Uh, some say nine, some say 11. There's nine, 10, 11. There's prophets that come along. And those prophets come along, and their whole point of being a prophet is to say, dude, stop it. 
The way you're living is not pleasing God. The way that you're living is gonna bring destruction into your life, not just for you, but for your children and for your children's children and generations beyond. And they're telling them, you gotta start living right. Honor God and serve God with who you are. And, and the people refuse to listen to these prophets. They refuse to give them the attention that they deserve. And so God, God then says, okay, this nation that I've created for you, this nation that you are, um, I'm gonna draw a picture of the nation. I'm gonna go ahead and take this nation and we're gonna go ahead and divide this nation into two parts, the northern part and the southern part. The northern part is called Israel. The southern part is called, is called um, Judah, all right? Well, he says, I'm gonna divide it. And this is, what, this is the nation of Israel, even though this is Israel and this is Judah, it's the nation of Israel. The nation that God has given to them, the people, the land, all together. And God's like, if you can't handle what I've given to you to draw you into relationship with me and obey me and follow me and love me and serve me, then I'll take what you've got away. So God does. God sends the, the Assyrian army into, um, let's do this again. God sends the Assyrian army into them, right? And the Assyrian army comes in and they attack them and he sends the Babylonian army into these and they attack them and they destroy the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom and all the people are exiled. In other words, they're taken into captivity that to move away from their homeland. Can you imagine that happening to us? You can no longer stay in this nation. You're either taken captive, you're executed, but you're definitely gonna be exiled. You gotta go live in, I don't know, Canada or something. I don't know, you gotta live somewhere else. You gotta get out because you're not allowed to be here anymore. This really did happen. Historically, we know that it took place. And so these evil armies, the Assyrian army and the Babylonian army, we read about them before, come in and they destroy them and these are evil people. God allows them to come in and take victory over his people because he loves you too much to let you stay the same way you are. There's consequences for our behavior, consequences for our sins in our lives. It's, uh, it's like with your children. I think one of the best things we can do to parent our kids, and we raised seven, the, the best thing, we have five grandchildren, the best thing we can do is we can allow natural consequences to take place when that's possible. Uh, when it's possible for natural consequences to take place, you, you put, a, put a jacket on Put your jacket on, it's cold out there. Put your jacket on. Why are you yelling about a jacket? Let him go without a jacket. And the natural consequence is they're cold. And then the mommy, I'm cold. Well, that sucks. I'm so sorry to hear that, right? What a bummer, should have remembered your coat. Mommy, can I have your coat? Oh no, mommy was smart enough to put a coat on. However you wanna say it, right? Mommy's nice and warm and this is wonderful. You should put a coat on next time. I don't know, it's a thought, right? You're not being sadistic, natural consequences. God operates that way. There are natural consequences in our lives. God says this, Galatians 6, 4, can God be mocked? No, a man reaps what he sows. Throw a rock into the water, you're gonna get some ripples. It's gonna happen. And that ripple effect is gonna be seen for a long time. And it's not God's sinister evil plot, it's just natural, it's what happens. But God can still deliver you out of the ripples of pain, if you'll allow him to. That's what he wants from the beginning. And so, so this nation is now divided, everybody's exiled, and then a miracle takes place. The miracle that takes place is God sends the king of Persia, which is a neighboring nation, so Persia. 
Persia is actually Iran today. God sends the king of Persia, whose name is Cyrus, says, hey, you know what? This is not good. You guys should be able to go back home again. In fact, I don't just think you should go back home again. I am one of the most powerful people in the world. I decree you can go home again. Wherever you're living, you can go home again. You don't have the money, I'll buy you a, a, a bus ticket to get home. So he not only tells them they can go home, he funds them to go home. So the people finally go home. Somebody say, yes. The nation comes back together again, and the first thing they do, you guessed it, the first thing they do is they decide, well, we probably better build a church. The first thing they do is they say, we're gonna build the temple, which is great. That's honoring to God. God's probably going, yes. They're finally getting this. So they begin to build the temple. We talked about this a little bit last week. If you were here, if you weren't, no big deal, you're with me now. And they start building it. And then, you know, they got a great vision. They got great direction. I'm gonna go to church every Sunday. I'm gonna be a part of what God wants to do in my life. But then, you know, life takes over. And the kids got T-ball practice and I gotta work a few late shifts. And before long, you drift and you're not there anymore. And it becomes a week to two weeks to, to two months to three years to 16 years. This, this building project has now been abandoned. They started building the temple for God and they're just not doing it anymore. And God sends a couple of prophets to tell the people, dude, you're being an idiot. I told you to do this. Why aren't you doing it? It's disgraceful to you and to me. And so these prophets' names are Haggai and Zechariah. You read about they've got the books in the Bible and they, they ignite the spiritual revival among the people. And the people finally build the temple of God and it is finished and it's an exciting day. And the Bible says they begin to celebrate. This is toward the end of the Old Testament. Things are going good for them now and we're excited. And what I wanna do in the next 12 minutes that I have with you before I dismiss you from this church is take you through the rest of the Old Testament. And the final thing that I wanna share with you is it has three characters. The final three characters in, the, in the, all of the 39 books of the Old Testament. It's now been 80 years later, they got to go back home. The first wave of the people got to go back home. They built the temple. But there's a second group of people, of exiles, that are now returning, making the 900-mile trek from exile back to their homeland. There's one guy that hears about from a guy named Hanani, and this guy's name is Nehemiah. Nehemiah hears that, um, well, the temple's rebuilt, but um, uh, there's a problem. They haven't rebuilt the walls around them. Who does he hear it from? He hears it from the first character I wanna to talk to you about, and that's a guy by the name of Ezra. Uh, Ezra is a priest, and Ezra gets word. The exiles have gone back, and he's thinking everything is gonna be great. Jerusalem, the capital city, is, is gonna be being rebuilt. The temple is up, and he's heard the good news. I don't know, extra, extra, read all about it. Somehow the communication got back to him. So he goes to Jerusalem, but when he gets there, he's very upset. In fact, the Bible says he's so upset that he begins to tear his own clothes. He pulls out literally his own hair to where he's bleeding from the skull. And finally, he rips out his own beard. This is a leader, a leader in the community, a spiritual leader. And now all the other leaders in the community are looking at him. Hundreds and hundreds of people are looking at him and going, why are you so upset? And the reason he's so upset is because God had specifically told his people, do not marry outside of the faith. In other words, one of God's decrees is, don't be unequally yoked. 
By the way, that's still one of God's real strong decrees, guys. I, I don't know how to tell you that. It has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with, with, with where, where you come from or what color your skin is. It had everything to do with believing in the same true God. And so the people of God began to marry people that were believing in false gods, multiple gods, all over the place. And it bothered God so much that this priest named Ezra came back, began to be emotional about it, and he fell on his knees. And it tells us toward the end of the Old Testament in Ezra chapter nine that he began to pray. He fell down on the ground before God in the middle of this entire city, and the city began to gather around him in this one-man prayer meeting. And they were watching him begin to pray. And he began to talk about how gracious God was, about how God would take them out of slavery and out of bondage and out of Egypt and out of all the problems and struggles that they had and that God would build them a nation and that God would take that nation away from them and have it divided into two and send them into exile. But God would be gracious and his mercy would last and endure and he would allow us to come back into this nation and have a homeland again. God, you are so good and the people in the city began to embrace the message of the prayer of Ezra and they too fell down on their knees before God and the next picture you get is this entire city of 1.4 1.5 million people the Bible says are down on their knees and their faces before God in repentance and it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing God was greatly pleased then they lived happily ever after. No, no. Meanwhile, back in Persia, there was a, the king in this uh, nation of, of Persia, which is Iran, the king had a guy who worked for him. I mentioned his name earlier, Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. He would drink the drinks, and if he didn't die, then the king would drink the drinks too. I mean, what a job, right? That was his job. Well, he was kind of like a slave, a servant, if you will. Well, uh, Nehemiah heard that, well, they had the temple built back in his homeland, which he's still 900 miles away from, but, but they don't have the walls built. I mean, there's no, I mean, you can have a temple, but if you don't have walls around the city to protect the city, well, then the temple's gonna be destroyed again. And it, it, it broke him, it burdened him. Everybody's got their thing, don't they, right? Everybody's got their call in life. That, that's something that's like, like A-grade important to you, and this was A-grade important to this guy by the name of Nehemiah. Well, the king, who was not a good king, the king of Persia says, hey, cupbearer, dude, what's up, man? You're looking kind of gloomy. And, the, and he tells the king all about his problem, and the king's like, no problem, cupbearer, dude. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, send you, I'm gonna give you a leave of absence. You can go back home again. Now, I'm not only gonna give you a leave of absence, I am also gonna give you money and supplies and materials so that you can go home and you can rebuild these walls. We read about it, page 295, Nehemiah chapter one. We'll put it up on the screen for you. You can read it or take, mark it if you want to um, in your Bibles. But this is kind of the prayer that Nehemiah begins to pray. And he, he really wails before God. And God gives him favor with this evil, wicked king. The king says, well, no, I'll provide it all for you. And so Nehemiah travels to Jerusalem, and here's what the Bible says. The Bible says he gets there at night, and he says, I'm gonna survey the area. And so he begins to survey the area, and he prays before God that evening, and he asks God for two things. He said, God, I need wisdom, 
and I need a strategy. And as the pastor at New Life here and all five of our campuses, soon to be six this next year as we start our, our Manteca campus launches on Easter Sunday, um, the pastor of this network of churches that God is developing in the valley as we uh, uh, assemble together, that's what I pray for. God, give me wisdom, but give me a strategy. Help me to learn how to help people where they're at. Trinity said it earlier, it's not an accident you're here today. God made a way. So he prayed for wisdom and a strategy and God gave it to him. He begins to divide up the families and says, guys, we've got to work on this wall and we've got to get it built because it communicates to the world around us that um, God has let us down, that God allowed us to be destroyed and the enemies are gonna come in and, and destroy us again. Well, no sooner that does that happen than the people begin to rally and say, yes, yes, we can do this. High five, chest bump, we're all in. Nehemiah, dude, cupbearer man. And they begin to rebuild the walls. How many of you know when you begin to do something important in your life, it's not gonna be very long before somebody who's a nut job comes along and tries to distract you or take you out of the knees? Somebody's gonna come along and try to, try to keep you from fulfilling the mission that God has called you to in your life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you don't know, you probably are that person. Let's take a look at this in, on page, <laughs> sorry, page two, two, <laughs> 296, it says, uh, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the walls, that's kind of a cool name, Sanballat, when he heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. It's another way of saying he's really ticked. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates of the army of Samaria, he said, what are, what are, what are those people Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? So Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, there's always a sidekick, right? There's always somebody that isn't really a leader, he's kind of a follower, gonna jump in, on, that's, what, that's what Tobiah is. He says, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. So you see what's happening, they're making fun of them. They're jabbing at them. You might even be experiencing this in your own life. Today, maybe even with somebody that you dearly respect or love. After several weeks of, this, of working in these conditions, what happens? You get kind of discouraged, and, it, and that's what happens a little bit later down in this page. It says, meanwhile, the people in Judah said, well, the strength of the laborers has given out. There's so much rubble, we can't rebuild the wall. Also, our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them, and we will kill them, and we will put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Can you imagine this? This is a tough work environment. And so Nehemiah says to the people, the volunteers, these aren't paid laborers, these are volunteers. Nehemiah says to them, okay, here's the deal. The enemy's gonna try to take us out. So I want you to work with a trowel in one hand and I want you to work with a sword in the other hand and we're gonna use the trowel and we're gonna put down the mortar and we're gonna stack those stones and we're gonna rebuild these walls. But if the enemy comes in, baby, we got a sword in the other hand. We wanna be prepared for the battle that is to come. Man, it's a, it's a powerful moment for the people. Oh, we can do both, can't we? Yes, yes we can, with God's help. And so they're rebuilding the walls. Why are they doing it? 
The same reason you're rebuilding walls in your life. The same reason you go to church, you, take your, you get your kids up, you come to church on a, on a regular basis. It's not, it's not about church. It's about, it's about rebuilding relationship with God. It's about putting God first in your life. It's about setting the tempo and the stage for legacies, for a legacy to come, for generations to come in your family. They want a closer relationship with God. And then it happens, page 299, just about done. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Yule uh, in 52 days. In less than two months, everyone involved rebuilt the walls around the entire city. It was a miracle and truly, the Bible goes on to say, they rejoiced and they celebrated and they prayed together and they read the Bible together and what happens? Fast forward a little bit, Nehemiah becomes the governor, Ezra becomes the the main spiritual leader in the community. And things are looking good, really good. They have the walls built, they have the temple built, they begin to build for themselves houses all over the land. I mean, it's really looking good. In Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel, You know what's gonna happen, don't you? Then it happened. It always happens. Many of the people began to stray from God and many of the priests, the spiritual leaders, began to stray away from God. I've had it, God says. I will send one final prophet. I will send one final person that will come to help them, to to restore them. And so God sends one final prophet by the name of Malachi. That is the 39th book in the Old Testament. Malachi comes and he has one simple message from God to the people who are once again beginning to turn their backs on God. And he's like, God has given you a never ending covenant promise. Let me say it again. God has given you a never ending covenant promise. He will not break his promise. He will do anything to get you into relationship with him. Quit being hypocrites and get right with God. That's the message. And it comes out in many different ways. One of the ways it comes out is in he starts to attack, he gets personal with them. He attacks their checkbook. He's like, show me your calendar and show me your checkbook and I'll show you your God. Will a man rob God? But we rob him in tithes and offerings. In other words, what he's saying is next time the bucket's passed in church, just reach in and grab as much as you want and shove in your pocket because that's what you're doing anyway. <gasps> the people are offended. And that's what happens when God gets upset and tells the truth to people that don't have ears to hear or eyes to see. And at that point, the book is closed. God becomes silent. You'll notice in your Bible, there's probably a blank page between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, like the publisher just did that so that we can make sure that we had to differentiate between the two. No, it's actually part of the writing of the Bible. That blank page was put there intentionally because for 400 years, God didn't speak. Not a word. 
God withdraws. No prophet, no priest, no king, no word, no message, no angel, no da-da-da-da, no nothing. That's not to say that nothing happened. During this 400 years, so much social oppression going on in culture, oh my gosh, it was hell. But remember, God already spoke. God's words will never return void. And it'll always resonate among us. You take all of our Bibles, you take all of our churches, but God is not going anywhere. During that time, the, the, the Bible was translated from Hebrew into Greek during the 400 years of silence. For the then known world could then read the Old Testament, the scriptures, in a form of scrolls that were found in 1947 in a cave known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. All this happened during that time. But people were missing. They were missing God. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Because we done did messed up. Because we messed up again. Because God had a plan to build a nation. And we kept messing up, and we kept messing up, and we kept messing up. Disobedience, punishment, repentance, deliverance, and it keeps going. It's called the crazy train, and we're all on it. We're, we're all on it. God, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives us a nation, and we think things are going good and things aren't good, so he takes it away, and then he brings us back, and we think things are good and things aren't so good, so he kind of punishes us a little bit. And so we build the temple, and we build the walls, and everything's good, and we have a great big party. And then we disobey God again. The whole point of the Old Testament, it gets boring, kind of. The whole point of the Old Testament, the reason it's boring to me is because it's the same story over and over again. The point of it is you can't do it. You can't do it. It's impossible. You can't do it. We need a Savior. Amen. I don't care what job you have. I don't care what stage you're at in your life. I don't care what situation you're dealing with. I don't care what loss you've had or what incredible year you've had. You need a Savior. We all do. That, that is why. We celebrate Christmas. It's not about the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's about the king that's coming back again to take us to be where he is at right now. Guys, Christmas is so much more and so much deeper. But if we don't understand from whence we've come, we have no idea where we're going. The Old Testament brings to life the necessity of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your hearts and your heads with me right now? God, you're a good God. You're greatly to be praised. We're so grateful for your word. It will never return void in our lives. We're so thankful that at just the right time, you would send your one and only son into the sin-filled, messed up world to deliver us from, from ourselves. We're so thankful that that's the all-encompassing theme of the Holy Bible, that God wants to have a relationship with us and you are willing to do whatever it takes for that to happen with your heads bowed and your eyes closed I have no idea I have no idea where most of you are at in your lives with God but I do know this there's a whole lot of people that have plastic faces on walking around and and I don't know that that makes God very happy and it certainly doesn't make you very happy in the inner part of your life if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you know now why you need one. Because we can look at these characters in the Old Testament and say, if I was there, that never would have happened, but that's a lie. Because it still happens, still happens today. 
So many of us need to rebuild. So many of us need to recommit. So many of us need to reconnect with Jesus. And so with no one looking around, I, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'll just make it very quick. The next 90 seconds will be done. But I'd be remiss if I didn't just ask you this question. The teens did such a good job explaining it, but let me just accentuate it and italicize it. If you need to get right with God, it's not about joining a church. It's not about signing a card. It's about a relationship. That's all God wants is your attention in a relationship with Him. And you'd like to say, yes, Lord. From this moment on, I recommit, I reconnect. I, I want to serve you with all my life. I don't want to be on that crazy train anymore because I, kind of, I can kind of understand what, what's going on there because I've, I've done that. And I'm tired of that life. So Jesus, today, the Sunday prior to Christmas, I give it all to you, fresh and new, fresh and new. If that's you, no, no one looking around, eyes closed. Just honor God. Just do this for me. Would you pop your hand up and put it right back down again? Say, God, that is me. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I see him all over the place, all over the place. Don't, don't delay. Just say, I'm reconnecting with you right now, Jesus, you and me. I'm coming clean. I'm coming clean. Pray this prayer, God. I'm so sorry. Come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me. I give you my all because you gave me your all. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Man, we love you here at New Life. We're so glad you came. Listen, I, I got to tell you, if you're a guest with us, um, when we dismiss you in, in just a second or two, you may go. If you're part of the family here at New Life, I'd like you to stick around for just a couple of minutes. Help us get this auditorium ready for the family that's going to be coming in here in about an hour, hour and a half uh, for the celebration of life gathering. And so we're going to ask you to come in and, and, and you can kind of, Pastor Trinity is back there. I'm here. We'll guide you a little bit, but we, we just need to make sure we have enough chairs set up in here. And we kind of walk the aisles and make sure that all the trash might be picked up. If anybody spilled anything, we dry it. And we want to put our best foot forward for this family um, that is grieving and mourning today. I'll remind you one more time, Kitty College graduation is, is right through that door. If you've got a grandchild, like I've got five of them, five of my grandbabies were in the, in the preschool program, so I'll be jumping over the chairs to get back to Kitty College graduation in just a minute. But if you came for that graduation ceremony, you can go back through those doors in just a moment. Parents, you're not allowed to leave here without taking your kids with you. Um, it's kind of important to us, and uh, so, so make sure you do that. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest and may he give you peace. God bless you, New Life Church. Merry Christmas. You all are dismissed. Amen, 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 amen.